Before I get into this, let me take the liberty to thank the lay people in this church, our choir members, Jeff serving as a liturgist, who's one of our elders, all of you who've helped set this up. And I, I want to remark about that because it shows that this is a congregational-led church and not a professional pastoral-led church. You were the pastors, you were the, you were the ministers and the people, and it is so evident as I see you work so hard to make this service as well as the rest of the church happen. So healthy, so thank you. This morning we start the third series, you may be bored by this by now, but hopefully not, the third in our series, four-part series about the meaning of life or the search for the meaning of life. May God open up to us an understanding of this word as it comes to us. Another call story, by the way, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Gentile, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, which means he was a rabbi, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness, sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let us pray. O oh God, hush our hearts and our minds so that we may hear your still small voice and in hearing, doing in Christ's name. Amen. As I said, for the past two weeks, we have looked at the meaning of life from two different perspectives in the Bible. The first was the passage of Jesus who comes up out of the water after being baptized by God and hearing God's voice say, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the second one last week was about Simon and Andrew and another disciple seeing Jesus 
walked down the road and asking John the Baptist who he was and John the Baptist saying, that's the Messiah, the, the one you've been waiting for. And then they leave John the Baptist and start following Jesus. Today, it's a different story. Hopefully, it is a story each of us can follow too. The Declaration of Independence promises life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think as far as it goes, what a great promise that is. In fact, now there are hundreds and hundreds of books written about our pursuit of happiness. The most popular class at Yale, in fact, is by a young woman who teaches just that, a happiness class. You can't get in it. A famous professor at the Wharton School, Martin Seligman, came up with the idea in 15 or 20 years ago that we do deserve happiness and therefore put together a, a curriculum to help us find it. Since then, he's moved from just happiness to well-being. But nevertheless, as far as it goes, happiness is one of our pursuits. But if I were writing the Declaration of Independence, and far be it for me to say it, I would rewrite it to say the per it is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. That's what true freedom gives us. Happiness is momentary. Your, your team wins. Your, you get a new car. You find your car keys. But meaning, oh, it's so much deeper. It's timeless. And it may change over life, the meaning and purpose as we see it, depending on the circumstances and the context. But it is still based on our sense of, uh, of purpose itself especially when we're making positive contributions and helping others. Happiness is more about taking, getting, finding, meaning giving, serving, doing for others. I swear to you, animals show happiness. They wag their tails or our cats even smile. I swear they do. But I don't think they, and I'm not sure that any animal other than Homo sapiens are able to find meaning. And, and I think that's what makes us human. The way to find meaning is not to ask what we want from life, but to ask what life wants from us, it is said. And let me also say again that the search for it from what we want from life changes over time. But it still comes back to us, what does life want for us? The question of meaning and purpose is going to be different for a 30-year-old with a new vocation and an 80-year-old who is struggling over the issue of what am I doing here now? What is my purpose now that I no longer produce anything? Often I sit with older people, I'm now one of them, and, and ask them just that question, what do you see the meaning of your life to be? And they say, I don't. All I do is take, take, take. I can't give back. 
And what I say to them is what I think you'll hear too if you reach that point, that maybe the meaning of their life is to serve as an example for all of us as, how one, as to how one grows older gracefully, even possibly joyfully, whether you can produce anything or not, just your countenance can serve as a purpose and give you meaning if you can show the rest of us how you're supposed to do this. It takes meaning, I think, regardless of the circumstances, to live fully. Viktor Frankl, in his really amazing book, Man's Search for Meaning, written after World War II, after he had served in Auschwitz as a prisoner of war, before that he was a psychoanalyst, psycho meaning soul, analyst meaning healer, he was a soul healer, and when he was thrown into Auschwitz because he was Jewish, he decided he was going to take his gift, his meaning and purpose as a soul healer, and use it in the camps. And what he did was to try to help each person in his camp come to claim some purpose for their life and for survival. For one woman, he helped her see that her grandson who had been uh, exported out of Germany to save his life, who was about five years old, whose parents had died in the camps, to help her see as his grandmother that she needed to survive so that she could get to him in the United States and help him grow up. And he says in the book that that purpose for her gave her enough strength to survive. He went on to so, say that those who did not find that kind of purpose tended to die more easily. Not always, but more easily. Without purpose and meaning, we lose the will to life. He called this process logotherapy. And what he meant by that is to reframe the language we use to make sense of the world, to use words, to reframe the language so that in any particular situation, we can look at it and find there, hopefully, some sense of meaning and hope and even purpose behind it. As tragic as it may be, you look forward into some redemptive purpose. Frankl showed that this is true for every single one of us as a human being. As a preacher, I'm using biblical stories. I'm focusing on the quest for the meaning of life by using Jesus and his disciples for our guide. But the question and even the answer is not just a Christian one, it is a human one. In week one, I made the case that Jesus even searched for, and as, I don't know, as maybe heretical as it sounds, I contend that when Jesus came up out of the water at 30 years old and heard God's voice call him my beloved son and see the Holy Spirit rest on him, that at 30 years old, Jesus was searching up to 30 for who he was and what his true meaning was. Oh yes, I'm sure he knew people thought and his mother, although his mother, I'm not sure, was, she was ambiguous about it too. But maybe Jesus did know intuitively, but he didn't know for sure until at 30 years old when he got that acclamation from God. He heard it. And that began his true purpose and meaning. Before that, he searched like the rest of us. He was human. And the disciples 
last week who were with John the Baptist searching for a savior and someone to help fix Israel and save them from the hand of the Romans. They, they see Jesus walk by and they don't know who he is. They just say, John says, follow him. And they go to follow and, and, and they ask him, uh, stop, stop, stop. And he turns around and asks them back, what are you searching for? That may be the most existential question I have ever heard Jesus ask of those disciples and just as well he should ask of us, or at least we should hear it, what are you searching for in life? And they dodged it. They didn't answer it. They just said, where are you staying? And I take by that, as I said last week, they're asking, who are you? Where are you rooted? Who are your folks? Tell us what's going on with you. And Jesus says, great. Come and see. As I said, I was always told to, because I have a little ADD, I tend to leap before I look. So I was always told to look before I leap. And Jesus is saying, thank you, Jesus. Leap before you look until you head out down the road following what it is you feel called to do. You don't know for sure if it's a call or not. Come and see. And then this week's story. Jesus isn't sought after. He turns the tables and seeks after them. He's walking by a sea. He's moved to Capernaum because he's heard John was arrested and really he's fleeing in hopes that he can continue his ministry and not be arrested too. He saw it coming three years later or before. So he moves to Capernaum and he's walking down the streets and he's preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand and everybody's talking about this preacher who's saying you don't have to go to church. You don't have to follow the laws. You don't have to do it all by the priest's words. You can just need to repent. So all you need to do is to turn around and walk back to God. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God, the very presence of God's love and grace is now with us. Present now as it will be then. All you need to do is find it. It's the meaning question. What are you searching for? And it's the call question. Peter and Andrew, James and John, drop your nets, leave your boat, and follow me. Have we ever heard that call? I suspect we can say yes, you wouldn't be here otherwise, or maybe you think you've heard it and you're trying to figure it out, or maybe you'd like to hear it. And it's not just once this call from Jesus. As I said, it's contextual all through life and the call changes, but it is still a call that calls us to jump ship, to leave our bubble boats and to go back onto solid ground and to follow something substantial. And they did, I, they did. Immediately they dropped their nets and they walked off the job. Your wonderful little painting on the front of your bulletin has Zebedee in the boat after 
The four disciples are now following Jesus and Zebedee's hands up and he's waving goodbye to his sons. And I can guarantee you dimes to dollars he was not happy about the fact that he just left him by himself high and dry to run the fishing business. But they heard something in that call that was greater than their obligation to their father. So it begs the question, what would cause us to jump ship like that? I can't think of anything more meaningful then in doing so, we have the promise of finding what our true purpose is. It may be doing just good work, just a good job. Martin Luther, when asked what it means to be a Christian now, as a priest to each other, that is not a priest in the sanctuary or the cathedral, but a priest as we all are to each What does that mean? And Luther, and the person said, what does it mean? All right, say, say the person's a, sh- a sh- cobbler, a shoemaker. What does a Christian shoemaker do differently? What, how does he call? How does he live out his call? And Luther says, well, a Christian shoemaker makes good shoes. Well, does he put a little cross in the tongue of the shoes? Luther says, no. A Christian shoemaker makes good shoes for a fair price. And any business that is doing just that, providing a service for the common good, can be a call. And any business that's not doing that, providing a service just for my good, as opposed to anybody else's, not a call. Usually what causes us to immediately drop the nets is something disastrous, I have to say. Maybe we've lost that job. Maybe we've lost the incentive for it. Maybe we've lost the energy to get up out of bed. Maybe we're facing death. There ain't nothing like death to cause us to get down on our knees and ask the question, what is my purpose in life and what is the meaning of it? I have a friend in Jacksonville who's been given an unfavorable cancer diagnosis and she is trying to find, searching for the right oncologist to come up with the, with the right drugs to heal her. And she's even now searching in other places, t- taking her disease out to, to, to wider places, asking, she didn't used to be a believer. She lost her faith in college, but now she's asking for prayer. Maybe it's not that dramatic. Maybe it's the sort of existential. Maybe it's this conscience thing. Someone comes to us and intervenes telling us we have a problem or we just retire. Whatever, we wake up one day and our boat has sprung a leak and we need solid ground. It could be more global even than personal. An event in history threatens to flood all the boats. Nazi Germany invades Poland. In March of 2020, we wake up to discover there's this thing called COVID and now all our boats are in peril. Could be less obvious. Maybe we discover that the dividends from the game of life end up being like cryptocurrency. I have a friend who was 
one of those people who was winning life. He was an Eagle Scout. He was most likely to succeed that superlative uh, page in the high school yearbook. He went to an Ivy League school. He went to law school. He ended up working for Austin and Bird in Atlanta. He was in my Bible study, and he was booking 24, 2,500 hours uh, a year. To do that as a lawyer, you know you have to work 60 to 70 hours a week. And he's burning out, and I can tell he's burning out, and his family's burning out. And one day he comes in, he's looking lower than the knee on a caterpillar. And I, in our Bible study, and I say, what's going on? He goes, I just learned two days ago that my wife was having an affair with my daughter's tennis coach. She had been left abandoned by his vocation, no, his job, that's the difference between a vocation and a job, just hold on. She had been left by his job and felt abandoned. She was reaching out desperately. They divorced. He comes in one day and he says, <clears throat> I think I think I'm no longer called to be a lawyer. And we said, well, what took you so long? <laughs> he goes, really? He said, yeah, you've been dealing with it for a year. He goes, I think I'm going to go to seminary. Do you really feel called? Well, I'm not sure, but I know I'm not called to be a lawyer anymore. And I think God's calling me to do this. He had been thrown out of his boat only to find himself standing on something even more substantial. And if we don't immediately get out of our boats, God's probably going to throw us out. You remember Jonah? He ends up in the belly of a whale before he gets spit up back on dry land. This is God bringing to us our purpose and meaning, and dadgummit, if we don't get it, God's going to make sure somehow we will. When the question comes to us, what were we supposed to do? The question is about vocation. Vocare, the word meaning voice of, of that which gives us direction and instruction. That's a way different thing than a job. We have been called for a vocation. And it changes, but it's still a call. And it comes from someplace greater than ourselves, and it's grounded in something that serves others more than it serves us. By the way, I didn't, I didn't mention this in the 830 service, but it struck me. You know how many times Jesus got called out of the boat? Well, this is the first one. And then they're in the lake, and, and Jesus tell, tells Peter to jump. Show a leap of faith here and jump. And Peter jumps out and starts to drown before Jesus saves him second time, third time, Jesus has been crucified, raised from the dead. They didn't really know that well in John's gospel, so Peter just says after it's all over, I'm going fishing, the best line in the Bible, by the way. And, and they're out fishing, and, and they see Jesus on the shoreline, and he's got a fire. They don't know it's Jesus, but Peter kind of figures it out. And he says, my master, and he takes his clothes off so that he can swim faster and he jumps out of the boat third time. And what does Jesus say to him each time? The first time he says, Peter, follow me. Follow me. 
and I will make you fish for men. Second time, Peter, leap. Leap, and you will come to know that I can save you. And the third time, he says, feed my sheep. And you want to know what makes a call a call? It is a call if it gives us something substantial to do. Well, I think I'm hearing God call me to do something. I'm just not sure what it is. Well, just listen some more. Because if you don't have some idea of what it is, it may not be a call. It is a hard thing to hear this call. I struggle with it. Every single time I've thought I've been called, I always argued with it. Kind of like Moses, you know. Because I wasn't sure. Could it be just my narcissism or my messianic complex or my ego or some, some problem I have in family dynamics that I was born second and not... You know, all those things are going through my head. What's, is it a call from God or not? And I, it, it came to me in a still, small voice. I, I sometimes heard it and sometimes I did When I came here, I didn't know for sure if I was called here. Anita will confess it. I'm struggling and so is she. The real interim pastor, Joanna Adams, who's in our congregation today, sorry to pull you out and shout out to you, was, was telling me, it is a great church. I was the interim until I fell and about broke my back. You're the one being called here. And I got to tell you, when Joanna tells you you're called, it's like the voice of God. You better listen to it. <laughs> but I still struggled with it. And then after a while, it became clear. I leaped. I took the leap. And it became clear that I feel so called here to be your interim pastor. Because I know how called your next pastor is going to feel too when he or she takes this pulpit. Friends, you're out of the boat. You're waiting. Just hear God calling and follow in faith and in hope and in love and in doing those things that God calls us to do specifically. Feed the hungry, house the homeless, care for those who were lost and least and last. Specific, if it's specific, you dadgum better well believe it's a call from God, and we dadgum well better do it. Amen.